a Podcast One production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis. And I'm Cecilia Ramsdale. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better. We know you're going to love this next episode of The Wellness Collective. We're speaking with David Rahman, author of Let It Go. We talk with David about how our past influences our future, what our inner dialogue is, the role of the subconscious and how it plays such a big role in our lives and our health. We talk about how to stop criticising yourself, finally, and to let go and obviously so much more. Here's to this next episode of The Wellness Collective. Well, look who's over there. <laughs> we're in proximity. <laughs> <laughs> I know, we're not just sharing stories with each other of what's been going on on the summer holidays. We're actually together in a studio and we're making some Wellness Collective. You can feel the summeriness about us, can't you? You, you can, know, we've got yes, that, that very light relaxed vibe. Although I don't feel very relaxed this morning well, I was at all. Say, actually, you're not. So <laughs> explain. Frazzled. I have. I was so mad this morning. I've just literally spent an hour and a half cleaning. Okay, so I'm going to give you a piece of advice, and our guest today will take us through this. Right. What's you, the advice? You need to let it go. Oh hell no! Not in an Elsa kind of way, but in a lifestyle. Oh. Let it go. Now. Our guest today is about to introduce himself and he's going to take us through all these wonderful ways that we can do that and why it's a good idea. Oh, uh, yeah. Thanks, guys. Um, my name is David Rahman. Uh, I'm a mind coach. I'm here in the UK in Swansea. Let It Go is the book name of the book I've just published. <laughs> Did you have any problems with Disney? <laughs> Did you have any problems creating a title? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you're a mind coach. I yeah. mean, to begin with, You've got a lot to deal with because everyone's got a mind chock-a-block full of stuff, haven't they? So yeah. where do you begin? It all depends on what their issue is, what their problem, you know, mm. uh, in terms of mind. Uh, everybody's got different issues, problems, and they just, if they, if they want to solve a problem, they, they see a coach or a therapist or a counsellor. My strong point is I help people sort of navigate the landscape of their mind. Wow. I'm trying to understand who they are. So your book is called Let It Go, How to Stop Your Past Ruining Your Future. And um, Mm. I did have a read through some of the chapters. And it's a really great book because it seems to be that you can just follow it through. Like it's a, you know, play along and see what happens kind of book. Yeah. One of the things that I think is really interesting that you talk about is about Mm. how our past is such a huge part of our present and what we can do about that because it's not necessarily a good thing. Yeah, I mean, if we think about everything we've, the way we think, it's actually not accidental. A lot of what we learnt in in the first 20 years of our life. Uh, And if you look at who brought us up, so whether it's your parents or your grandparents, whoever specifically brought you up, they influence how you think. They influence your beliefs uh, and what's important to your life. And before the age of... 10, they were the main so they were the main influences. And after that, then you were in school and then all that comes with school uh, influence how you think. So yeah, things like, you know, if somebody has a problem with confidence, it's often you can trace it back to something that might, might have happened in the past. Perhaps they thought they'd dealt with it, but they hadn't. So our, our past does determine how we react in different situations. As a Teenager, I wasn't a very confident teenager. 
uh, and that's where my interest sort of started to peak in terms of why are some people confident, whereas other people aren't. So yeah, it's a question I've asked myself for for four years before I became a coach. Do you have an answer to that yet? Uh, why are some people confident? Um, it all comes from how much we have faith in ourselves. But does that and come from people instilling faith in us, like our parents telling us certain things when we were growing up? Or is it in, I mean, I guess there's an element that some kids are just, or people are just confident, whereas maybe, how would you ever know? You can't really test that, can you? Mm. If you weren't constantly told growing up that you're this, that or the other, then what sort of impact does that have? Yeah, I think, uh, you, you know, you, you might have, say, two children growing up and they always say that two are never the same. Mm. You might have one who's very much into Lego and just playing and the other one is out there on the street jumping on slides. So that's, that's, you know, that's the difference in personality. But confidence is really, you, you can trace it back to elements of your childhood where perhaps you'll stand up for yourself if you're confident Perhaps you'll put your hand up. You know, how many times have we wanted to put our hand up? I know I wanted to put my hand up to answer a question in class. I, I feared getting it wrong or being laughed at. So I, I didn't put my hand up. And then somebody else would say the answer I was going to say. So it was a clear indication to me that I wasn't um, trusting myself. But I think confidence is something that some people naturally have it. Uh, in childhood, some people have it and then they, they lose it because of bullying, perhaps, or rejection in relationships. So we can gain confidence, we can lose it. But by the time you're in your late teenage years, in your early 20s, you've got a average sort of confidence level for yourself. That, that confidence could be high or low. And, and it does vary in situations. And it does impact what happens in your life too, doesn't it, your confidence absolutely, level? Absolutely, absolutely. We have yeah. often talked about going on holidays and how when you've got a holiday, mm. what was, I can't remember the stats, 60% is anticipation, is, is anticipation of the holiday, mm. 10% mm. is enjoyment when you're actually there because it's hard work often, and then whatever's yeah. left, 30%, looking back, is yeah. reflecting upon it and enjoying it. And it feels to me that your work is a little bit like that, but in terms of your whole life, would you agree? Yeah, yeah. It's funny enough, you know, on the holiday thing, I didn't enjoy holidays for years. That and can be stressful. It was because of anxiety <laughs> of actually getting there. Yeah. It wasn't until the last, I mean, I'm 52 now, but in the last 10 years, only in the last 10 years, I really have myself enjoyed holidays more and more. But before that, I just didn't feel comfortable for the first couple of days. I think it was a new situation, new hotel. And I remember back when we went to Florida, back when I was 21 years old, I was really scared. Whereas my brothers were enjoying themselves, I was sort of scared. Uh, and I think, I guess, you know, using your analogy about the holidays, you know, 60% anticipation. But anticipation can lead to some people anxiety, the fear of the unknown, and some people adventure. Mm. Yeah, it, it is a big part. It does represent life. Funny enough, you get some people who go to the same place every year. Have you noticed? They just yes. go to the same place every year. Because they get that feeling of certainty. It's like, oh, mm. unknown. Or you get some people who are mass adventurers. They just, they think they're Indiana Jones and they're on uh, a different adventure every year. But that's, again, that's a mindset, to be honest. 
funny, but we just came back from a holiday that we did last year, a camping holiday. We, really? And we camped in the same spot that we camped in last year with the same people across the way. And, really? Yeah, and, and we're going to do it again next year in the same week with the same people in the same spot. Wow. And I've never been that person to do the same thing year after year. Yeah. But you're yeah. right. I enjoyed it so much more this year because the familiarity was there and I didn't, it was easier to set up the campsite because we knew what to expect. Like there was all these things. We knew the people across the way already. So it was nice to see them and they were friendly. It was, it's really yeah. funny, isn't it? How I guess that's the good thing about looking back as well. That it's not yes. all that we're all troubled and damaged from what's happened to us <laughs> in the past. Yeah, yeah. Let's talk about um, your idea of the inner dialogue and mm. how we can master it, I guess. Mm. I don't know whether this is part of it, but even just last night, I woke up at two o'clock and I started having those conversations with the people that weren't there and what I should have said and how I should have done it and how maybe I should mm. send an email to this person. And I thought, what a load of... <laughs> can I no, just you go back to sleep? You thought that after the fact, but why is it at 2am? Yeah. Everything is so much worse. Like mm. it's like exponentially worse. Mm. And you know, logically, I'm going to wake up and feel fine, but you still can't wrap your head around that that being reality at two o'clock in the morning. Mm. <laughs> David? Yeah, well, yeah because, um, you know, when you go to sleep, your conscious mind goes to sleep. And the conscious, if you think of an iceberg, the tip of the iceberg is the conscious mind. Uh, and right underneath the surface, that big part, under, which you can't see, is your subconscious mind. Uh, and that never sleeps. It, it can't sleep because it runs your physiology. It runs the way you breathe, your thinking systems. And it's also processing the conversations you've had in the day. It's processing all the facts. And your brain is busy downloading information. So it's your brain's still active. So if you do wake up, you're waking up still in that conversation <laughs> that you would have had that day. So you're, you're actually, if you're waking up at two o'clock, you're in that time where the brain is still sorted out information from the day. It's not reached the dream state yet. So it's still in that delta state when starting, it's ready to dream. But if you if you wake up before the dream state, then you will still be processing mm. information. Yeah, it's, uh, I read this article and it, it, it talked about dream cycles. We, we sleep in 90 minute cycles. Have you, have you ever woken up and you've woken up in a song? It's like, oh, you've woken up and you've, Thought I'll, I'll have another half an hour, and you slept a bit longer, and you've woken up, and you're not quite with it. That's because you, you've woken up in the middle of a, a sleep cycle. They're typically ninety minutes long. You mm. have four or five a night, but your brain is still yeah processing information, and that's why you wake up. You're still thinking. Yeah, but is it helpful? I mean, a lot of what you're talking about in your book is trying to let go of this stuff. So yeah. how do you let go of it at two o'clock in the morning, which is when it, it appears on your radar? You know, when you're trying to problem solve, there's an interesting technique you can use. It's before you, before you go to bed, you can just pretend to park your troubles on the windowsill oh. and close the curtain. Okay, good. I like that. You're actually, so you're actually telling your subconscious mind, I'm just not even going to think about it. So I'm now parking my troubles and you're closing the curtain on it. When you're going to sleep, and if you're ruminating on certain things in the day, you're more likely, if you do wake up, it's, it's, really, it's going to be difficult for you to, uh, because you still process the information. What I would suggest is if somebody is um, looking for quality sleep, for example, do you, do, you, do you keep your tech in the bedroom and no. all that? 
So you keep it tight. So you've got blackout blinds. Is it a cool room? So you, you make it ideal for yourself mm. uh, in terms of your sleep hygiene. And then prior to sleep, you make sure that what you do is it's called, I think the sleep scientists call it sleep hygiene. Make sure that in the last hour before you go to sleep, last hour 90 minutes, you get ready for sleep rather than just watch TV or, or spend time on the internet because your brain's still active. Yeah. What you do before you sleep as well. That's really important. I do like the idea of parking your worries on the windowsill. Oh, yeah. I think there's lots to be said about that. I, I also went through a phase where I was waking up at 2 o'clock in the morning all the time mm. and it used to make me so frustrated. Until Which such is a, not helpful. No, until such a time that I was like, okay, I'm awake for a reason. I wonder what that could be and perhaps mm. I actually need to process this right now. And so I actually started to welcome the hour or two of insomnia because I felt like it was an opportunity to problem solve. And then I would, Mm. once I'd kind of massaged it through my mind and worked out and sort of, you know, tried to rationalise and whatever, then I would say to myself, okay, now I know I'm going to go into that dream state. What do I need to learn? If I need to learn something or process something, can my dream help me Mm. learn something or what do do I need to be shown or what is it that's there? Can I tell you how powerful that is? Mm. Stuff shows up in your dreams and then you're like, what the? But but also pushing against it is Mm. counterproductive, right? So if you just go, okay, I'm awake and my brain wants to deal with this stuff. Yeah. And then you can move on, I suppose. Yeah, I think so, definitely. Mm. Do men and women operate Mm. differently in this space? I'm reading a book at the moment which is called Mm. Why... Men, men are from Mars, women listen. No, not that one, but it's similar. Why well, men can't listen and women can't read maps. And it's talking about the difference between men and women's brains and how we process and, and stuff like that. And so mm. if you're looking at talking about your inner dialogue and facing things that happened in your past that might not be serving you, is it a universal thing or are women better or worse? or Like how does it play out? Women talk, obviously, I've got male friends and, and female friends and women are more open. Uh, and willing to be more vulnerable. You know, you might have a conversation in the morning and somebody's literally cheesed you off. And then you get somebody then, they're still replaying that conversation later on in the day to someone else about what happened this morning. How dare that person talk to me? And he goes home and talks to his wife. How dare that person talk to me? So each time he's talking about it, he's not letting go. He's just reinforcing the anger or the frustration from this morning. So he's got more of a chance of going to bed in a bad mood. But in, in terms of answering your question, with male and female clients, it's very, very similar mm. in terms of inner, inner dialogue. Inner dialogue is literally the way we speak to ourselves, uh, And people speak to themselves in different ways. You could be in the shower, you're in a good mood, and then suddenly you start having this conversation with someone who's not even there. And then... You're imagining them talking to you. You're saying this. And by the time you leave the shower, you're in a, a mood. Mm. You've worked yourself up into a state. You really shouldn't take anyone into the shower with you that that you don't want to be there. So <laughs> yeah. that's the first part about you that, want, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> we do. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, how hard is it for people to even realise that they've got stuff that they need to let go of in order to move on? I mean, a, a basic example is like you're saying about the mood thing. Is if you if you get up in the morning and you say today's going to be like Pam Grout, Mm -hmm. today's going to be awesomely amazing. And you say that to yourself and you put your feet on the ground and you take a breath and off you go rather than, oh, the alarm's gone off and I don't want to get up and, oh, the kids are annoying and uh, all the stuff. How important Mm. is it 
to try to consciously talk to yourself in that way and what difference does it make? It's hugely important. You can tell how a person is with himself just by the way they talk. So you might say to someone, fabulous out there, they might say, won't last. Mm. And that's in the UK, that is. <laughs> uh, and I mean, what you can do is, uh, in terms of somebody discovering themselves, I mean, they, they can just do exercises. They can look at their life and see, wh- where am I going wrong for a start? So it could be going wrong in relationships. They might find that they might always need validation or they're always comparing their life to others on social media. They're always negative towards themselves. And sometimes we wouldn't talk to our our dog the way we talk to ourselves. So it's a case of awareness, self-awareness. Mm. And, and the, the book has loads of tools in there where that people can just do some exercises, usually involved in pausing, spending some time with themselves, maybe a journal, and asking themselves a quick way you can find out if somebody's got, say, limiting beliefs, is to spend some time writing down what you want in life and just unedited, just write down what you, what you want. I want to be a you know, I want to be a pilot or I want to play the piano. I want to start my own business, all this stuff. Uh, and then have a day to ruminate over it and then revisit the list and then have a look at that list and then write down why haven't you done it. Look at the reasons you say you haven't done it. It tends to then extrapolate into the excuses you're making for yourself. Mm. We know that our you know, subconscious is really powerful. I was saying to someone the other day, and I'd heard someone else say it, but it's the dumbest, smartest thing that you have in terms of it hears something and it believes it. Our subconscious hears whatever it is that we say to it and then is programmed to yeah. go, oh, okay, whether it's real or not, whether it's an audacious goal or whatever it might be, I'm going to be a pilot one day or let's say, because that's what the example we're You're using. you plant it. But if you were to tell yourself that enough times, your brain starts to believe it. And for whatever reason, you start to be able to invite that in or do what needs to be done to become a pilot. Whereas if you tell yourself, I'm not going to become a pilot one day, well then... Well, that's too hard or yes. I could never do it. I'm not smart but enough. But then people, I find that some people have this ability to do that in reverse, that they tell themselves, they obviously don't believe it when they say they mm. can't do something and they go and really mm. do something, but they're... That's their coping mechanism. That's a defense that they're telling themselves that they can't. Yeah, but but clearly they don't believe it because otherwise it wouldn't happen. Mm. You know, so I find that wildly fascinating. But I'd say to people also, if you just try it on, you've got nothing to lose. But what is it that grand thing that you want to become? And if you start Mm. telling yourself that, Mm. the chances of you becoming that or whatever that is, whatever it is that you want. It's just the nature. If you don't of, dream it, you don't do well, it. I think right. is essentially it's fascinating, the case, though, isn't, isn't it? it? We're really good at sabotaging ourselves when it's really mm. not that hard. You just basically need to start pretending. <laughs> Fake it to feel it. <laughs> just turn up at the yeah. airport wearing a pilot's outfit. <laughs> yeah, I'm here. Oh, don't know what I'm doing, but I'm sure I'll get the hang of and it. And the other thing too is, it's very powerful writing things down, like you said, to put mm. something on paper, regardless of whether you believe it or not, as well. There's something to be said about that, I think. Yeah, exactly. Uh, and, you know, there's a, like a technique where I did a workshop on how to stop criticizing yourself the other day. Uh, and one of the techniques you can do is when you're criticizing yourself, people just say the, the stupider things, you know, you know, I'm not good enough. I can't do this. I'm not smart enough, all that. But a quick technique you can do, which slows it, slows you down, is to just to actually text yourself 
you can text yourself your own self-criticism. <laughs> it, it takes so long to do it that you start reflecting on how dumb is this? Uh, and then when you send it yourself and read it, you think, what the fuck is this? I uh, love realize, it. Oh, so because we're, we, our, our thought processes are so quick uh, and repetitive, uh, people don't read this. But when you just stop and you start and you do that, say, say that technique, it really slows you down. And then you look and then you examine. Then you, you might have an aha moment. Well, this is stupid. But it's also something you wouldn't say to anyone else, but yet you say it to yourself. Mm. So that's the other thing. I think in that reflection, you start to look at it and go, what the heck? Like, Mm. I would never say this to anyone, but I'm really good at saying it to myself. I love this. I love that technique. That's brilliant. Well, negativity is one of those things too that sticks a lot more than positivity. It's like Velcro. Oh, yeah. You know, something bad happens and you never let it go. Someone says something nasty to you and you never let that go, but then someone says something nice and you forget Well, that's true. I'd love to talk a little bit about that. In terms of yeah. letting things go, like what are the most common things that we are holding on to and mm. is there something that we can do to actually let things go? I mean, that's the title of your book, so I'm assuming you might <laughs> yeah. have an answer for me. <laughs> the entire book is about how to change that in a conversation, in a dialogue. That's, that's the entire book because the, the most common things I find is people are thinking they're not good enough. Mm. They might tell you they think, oh, yeah, I'm good enough. And when you speak to them... Um, as a professional, they'll say, well, actually, I don't think I'm good enough. They'll tell you in private. And, and a, a favorite question of mine to ask someone is on a scale of one to 10, 10 being high, I look them in the eye and I say, how much do you love yourself? And then there's often a big pause. Uh, and then they'll tell me three or seven. And I usually know just by talking to them, you know, and sitting them there, two, zero. So that's like a game changer because they, they've actually let it out. Mm. They've literally let it go. They've actually admitted to it. For some people, it's like carrying a, a backpack for years and years and they just put it down and they just feel so empowered by actually saying it. So they know where they stand. Mm. And at that point, they know, okay, that's the first step in change awareness. And the second step is acknowledgement. Let's do something about it. In the book, there's, there's a, a chapter called, it's, a, it's about power statements it shows you certain statements which allow you to change your inner dialogue. Uh, and I started developing these tools back in my courses in the last, in the, end, the end of the first decade of the century, so in 2008. And then I started delivering it for the UK government to help people back into work who'd been bullied, had all sorts of stuff mm. uh, and emotional issues, trauma. It works to a certain extent with trauma. It's obviously you need a long, much longer Yeah, time. that's a different set of circumstances, that's isn't it? a different it? set of skills, yeah. But with the average person, you can change their inner dialogue. You know, I remember someone, she said that she suffered anxiety and stress in social situations. So that's, that, that's quite common. That's that people, everyone these days because we've all been locked down at home yeah. for so long, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there is no social situation. <laughs> <There's> no- <laughs> yeah, it's just, just the person who's living with you. And, uh, yeah, and you your, keep your distance from everyone else. You distance everyone, you know. And in, in normal circumstances, you walk into a room and then people, somebody who's confident can walk in and just talk to anyone. They've got, they've got this, I've got nothing to lose attitude. I'm going to learn. I'm going to meet people, you know. And I remember somebody coming in and all her friends thought she was lovely looking. She should have it all, appear to have it all. But she said, she came in for sessions, private sessions. She said, David, I'm too honest. When I walk in with my boyfriend, I just feel destroyed. I just feel, I don't feel confident. 
And I said to her, because this is the inner dialogue, mm. in order to find out how to help and change, find out what's going on. She said, um, I'd be asking myself, will anybody talk to me? Will they think I'm thick, stupid? Um, will I feel alone? Will I be stuck in the corner somewhere holding a glass of wine just by myself? So these are all disempowering questions. I said, how did you feel after just asking these questions? She said, I'd be getting ready for the evening and I'd be absolutely shitting myself mm. at the evening. So I would say, okay, so what was the evening focused on? She said, survival, just survival. This is what people- Not enjoyment at like. all. Yeah, not enjoyment. So it was quite simple in this one. Mm. And it, I said, ask yourself this question all afternoon as you're getting ready to go out. And I said, when you go out next, she said, I'm- Going out week Friday. Okay, where are you going? She said, we're going to a, a bar to meet his friends with their girlfriends. It's okay, great. Ask yourself this one question and repeatedly ask yourself this. And she, the question was, how do I have fun? Quite simple. It's what people who enjoy themselves ask themselves <laughs> repeatedly, but they don't know they're doing it because it's already in your subconscious mind. So somebody like me, I like going out and uh, enjoying myself. Perhaps you do as well. And you'd be asking yourself, how am I going to have fun tonight? Who's going to be there? So it's a different conversation. So she said, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to have this different conversation myself. And she did it. I saw her about a month later and I asked her, how's it, how's it been going? She said, I, the minute I asked myself that question, my brain started looking for answers. It started looking for what's good. What can I, how can I enjoy myself? Because there is a part of our brain called the reticular activating system, which actually looks for what where we think we want at that time. And the RAS, I explained to her about the RAS. I said, you're going to go looking for fun. You're going to have a great time. And she said, I had the best time in years because all I was doing is enjoying conversations. I was focused in the moment because I was just focused on listening to people, having conversation, and I wasn't focused on survival. Mm. So that's quite a powerful tool to change the way you that's negative great. thinking. I think also too, something that I just thought of when you were talking about that situation is it's really easy for all of us to look at someone else's behavior and think it is because of us. Mm. And more often than not, it isn't anything to do with you, Mm. but we are worried that we might've done something or said something or have behaved in a way that's upset this other person, even if we don't know them very well. I mean, I had this conversation with someone the other day about someone that I vaguely know who's very cold when I see her. And I was saying to my friend and I said, I always feel a bit uncomfortable because she doesn't even sort of like, you know, just a nod or a friendly anything. She said, that's not about you, you know. <laughs> and I thought, mm. it's true that we can quite mm. easily get sort of tucked into this world of, oh no, I've done something wrong and I'm a bad person. And da, da, da. and it's it's mm-hmm. not, it's a it's a dumb conversation to have with ourselves. Um, we are running out of time, but I want to ask one question because yes. I think I reckon <laughs> it's the same question. Maybe not, I could be wrong. But us as parents, we obviously have a huge influence on our children. And I joke, and I've been joke, I've joked about this the whole time I've been a parent. It's like, oh, gee, I wonder how I'll mess my kids up today. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. is there one thing that we could do as parents to consciously support this next little generation that we're nurturing? My mother said to me not so long ago, it's about five, six years ago, I wish we had handbooks as parents. We weren't the best parents. And I said, it's all right. It took, took me a long time to forgive. Uh, and I think with my son, try to understand them and, and be as non-judgmental as possible without forcing or ramming down your views. 
over them and actually listening because I, I, I think a lot of parents don't listen because we, we have a blueprint of how we think the world should be. Listening is, is a really important skill that a lot of parents perhaps don't do because they obviously they live busy lives, but they forget. And can I, answer, can I have a part two for this? Yes, please. All the parts. What I love to teach my son is every day, just ask yourself, what could I be grateful for right now? Well, that zones them in the moment. Mm. Instead of just being a spoiled kid, we used to have this gratitude game. Mm. You know, five things, Kieran, you can be grateful for right now. And then I'd, he'd be searching around to, to look for what he was grateful for. And it just gets them in that habit of appreciating life. Yeah, I think that's really important. I think it's really, it's so true. My daughter's going through the tween puberty <laughs> changing uh, years and quite challenging, I have to say, mm. uh, frequently. But I've really taken these uh, school holidays to, well, it took me a while to work out. She actually just needs my time. All she needs when she's having a meltdown and she's losing it is my time. So the other day I took all devices away. We were having a meltdown. It was I was like, okay, these aren't helping and I just sat with her and I'm like, okay, well, well what do you need? Do you, want, do you need to talk to me about anything? No. And I just sat with her there for a while and said, okay, would you like to make some food? So we made some food together. And then I just spent a day immersed in her. She was like a different child after that. And so what I've been, I've just been replicating that every day and spending, you know what, they actually don't even need that long. We think as parents, oh gosh, I'm going to have to, you know, spend an entire mm. week trying to unravel this. It's five minutes here, five minutes there with undivided attention. Yeah, it's a problem with it's having a game changer. screens and stuff. Right. Yeah, but, but, always distracted. And then making her aware of that as well. I just mm. said to her, what do you think about not having so much time on your screen? It's very difficult, I think, across, this is something across the world really, is that because of the circumstances, kids have been forced to be on screens much more than they ordinarily would. Yep. And it makes it hard to come back from that. Yes. <laughs> makes it really hard to come back mm. from because that's what they see is their everyday now. And so, mm. yeah, it is about, I think, being aware and conscious and just creating time for not just eat, not just our children but actually each other. I think also too, mm. at, like you say, David, about listening, I think mm. not saying things like, oh, don't be silly or... No, that's no, that's not right. Or especially when it comes to feelings, um, you know, just saying, okay, well, that's no good that you feel that way, but you know, we'll sort it out. Mm. Or you know, something that doesn't make it shameful, I think, is is helpful mm. with kids. Can I tell you though? <laughs> I reckon I was in my thirties before I realised I didn't have to do everything my mum told me to do. Oh, I still do <laughs> stuff like that all the time. I never forget one day I said to one of the kids. Get your feet off the couch. And oh yeah. And Geordie's like, why? I just had a shower and I'm clean. And I was like, because that's what my dad used to say to me. So get your feet so off the couch. So that means, yeah. And then I had to follow through with it. And then I was like, you actually can leave your feet on the couch. It's fine. <laughs> but my dad used to yeah. constantly say, get your feet off the couch. Get yeah. your feet off the couch. Well, actually, in David's book, there's a great example of that. Can you end with the one about the ham? Can you tell us about that? The story? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Little girl asks her mum, why do you always off the end of the, of the hand joint uh, and the mum said um, well, that's what we do in the family and the girl says well, well, but why and mum says I don't know let me ask your grandmother my mum so she picks up the phone and rings her mum and says mum why do we 
you know, the end of the hand, hand joints. She said, oh, good question, dear. I don't know myself. We just do it in the family. It's just the way we do it. Well, mum, where did you learn that from? My mum. I'm going to ring her. I'm going to ring your, your grandmother. This is the great grandmother she's ringing up. So she rings up the grandmother and says, you know, mum, yes, dear? Mm-hmm. Why do we cut off the, the, the end of the hand joint? You know, it seems a waste. Ah, that's simple. It's just my tray. My tin is that small. So I have to do it to fit it into the tin. That's something that she's been doing for her entire life. And she's passed it down from generation all the way. And we, we just learn things. Sometimes we don't even know why we do it. But it's been learned from generations, you know? It's just the way I mean, it's I, done. I, I, for example, I used to ask wherever I was, I'd like a big plate. It could be just for a small slice of cake, a big plate. And I traced it back to my mum. Because whenever I visit my mum, she said, come on, I want you to have a bigger plate. Come on, <laughs> bigger plate. It's, it's a boiled egg, mum. <laughs> no, no, bigger plate, bigger plate. So we just learn things and we don't know why we do it, but it's like conditioning mm. my parents, you know. And we have to work out which bits help us and which bits maybe don't. Yeah. 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 Great. Well, thank you for joining us today. Your book is called Let It Go, How to Stop Your Past Ruining Your Future. And it was awarded Book of the Month by the Book Council in the UK, I'm guessing. That's very exciting. Yes. And, mm-hmm. you know, lots of people have got lots of time on their hands at the moment so they can go through and uh, yes. <laughs> do a little bit of <laughs> chucking out the stuff that isn't serving them anymore. Yeah. yeah, there's some really interesting stuff in there too. You know, things like regrets and fear of change and all these things that you think... I don't have any regrets, but then when you look at it, you're like, oh, maybe I've got one or two, you know, we've all got the things. Do you know what? <gasps> These people aren't going to have regrets. Sorry, David. I like to read out a review at the end of every podcast episode and we haven't had any for a while. But we've got some new ones Ooh. here, which is very exciting. So I'm sure they're having no regrets about leaving such wonderful feedback. Okay, go. <laughs> so this person, Linda Kerr, I think she anyway. Hi, Linda. She says, uh, the title is BFs on my work commute. Now, that'll be us. We'll be BFs yeah, for all yeah, the people listening. Yeah, happy. These two strong, smart and amazing ladies who have a great rapport with each other and their audience managed to sneak in quite a few soul-searching or self-examining challenges into my life whilst being immensely entertaining, wise, irreverent, comical and completely real. They connect without making you feel like you're listening to a pretentiously styled, too good to be true lifestyle podcast. <laughs> Keep up the great work, ladies. Nope, See? Nope. We love that. We love that. <laughs> too good to be true. We, yeah. we are awesome. Well, thank you. And anyone else that wants to leave a review, it's not hard. You just can go in. Put five Apple. stars. That's right. You need to go in on Apple Podcasts, put five stars. Five stars. And easy. And just a few words. Yeah. But yeah. Nice. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Thank you, Cecilia. Yes. Until next time. I hope this episode has left you happier, healthier and better. Bye, David. 